Father, may the words that we have sung, let it be the desire of our heart. That truly the reason that we live would be to worship you and you alone and no one else. Oh, Father, grant us grace, O Lord. Father, this evening, even as we now meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. You and you alone have the words of life, therefore we surrender ourselves to you. Father, challenge us this evening to walk with you even a little more closer. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that truly we might know you as you really are, Father, and that we will truly repent a little more this evening and walk a little more close to you. To that end, I pray that you would bless and anoint the speaking and the hearing of this word. Commit all of us into your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen. One of the things uh, that you will see when you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, as we call it, it's uh, not a pretty book. The Bible never tries to hide anybody's sin. It doesn't try to whitewash anybody's character. It shows people and men and women as they really are. And one of the things often we do, what often, or when we hear, you know, let's say somebody sinned, we have a shock. We get shocked. How can this person do this? How can you have done that? How could you have done that? No, one of the things that you need to understand, whenever you are shocked at sin, <laughs> you actually don't know your own heart. So the Bible is remarkably candid. It just smashes all our presuppositions and our prejudices into smithereens. All the categories that we have in our mind about what the human heart should be. I said, how could this guy do this? Right from the beginning it was that, that way. You know, once Adam and Eve fell, how could Cain kill his brother? How could he be so evil? Does it shock you? How could Noah, after having built the ark for 120 years and walked with the Lord, how could he just get drunk and be naked? How could he do that? How could Abraham lie to twice, not once, <laughs> that his wife was his sister? How could Lot, scripture calls him a righteous man. How could he, under pressure, give his daughters to be raped? How could he do that? How could Jacob lie and connive and 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 scheme and how could his mother, even though she heard the voice of God and the promise of God, try to manipulate her husband? How could she do that? How could Judah do that to Tamar? How could Tamar do that to, Ju- to Judah? And how could, and you keep on asking questions after questions and you know what happens? You see the entire old covenant, it is a book of disappointment. Honestly, it's disappointing to see, especially by the time you come to the book of Kings. I mean, Judges possibly is the only 
sorry, Joshua is possibly the only uh, place where you find some semblance of people uh, trying to live a godly and a holy life. But after the, after the Joshua generation passes away, then you have a bunch of people who are going from bad to worse. And by the time you come to the end of the book of Judges, you will see this Levite with this concubine and what was unthinkable happens right in the heart of Israel by a tribe called Benjamin that they force their own sister and once that is done, this Levite goes back home, chops the body into 12 parts, sends it to all the four, all the four corners of Israel and there is a civil war and one tribe is almost wiped out. How could that happen? How could Saul with such an incredible promise and such a fantastic start mess up? How could David, a man after God's own heart, you'll only find pockets of good character here and there, but you'll find this man is still a disappointment. Right in his kingdom. How could Two brothers like Abner on one side and Joab on the other side. They're going to fight each other. And you know what they say? Why do you want to fight each other? Let's find six men from your side, six men from my side. And let us just fight this battle one on one. And then whoever wins, you know what happens that day? They come and clash their swords with each other. Six people from Abner's side, six people from Joab's side. And all of them die. They're dead. Twelve people die. Planning and scheming and murder and politics and deception. You read the book of the old covenant. It is a book of disappointment. What it tells me is this. When you read it, you get a shock of your life. How could this people of God do this? You know, when you say that, you have no idea about your own sin. You know, sometimes I hear young people, you know, young people who are just come to the Lord and they're on fire for God and then they hear uh, other people, other believers who are in the church and they hear some negative thing. How could that person in coming to church in GTC, how could he do that? Uh, 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 uh. Well, you don't know your own heart. You know, you only have a theoretical understanding of what sin is. You really actually don't know your own sin because you have actually not adequately confronted by your own sin. That is the reason why there are unreasonable expectations in the church. Because people don't have an idea or, or an understanding of the human heart. Unreasonable expectations in marriages. Husbands have unreasonable expectations from wives. Wives have unreasonable expectations from uh, from husbands. Children have unreasonable expectations from parents. Parents have unreasonable expectations from children. Congregation has unreasonable expectations from the leadership. Leadership has unreasonable expectations from the congregation. You know why? All of them don't understand the human heart. Why was the old covenant given? They don't understand that. You read, I'm reading the book of Kings and, and Samuel and 2nd Samuel and 1st Kings, 2nd Kings. I'm getting disappointed and discouraged more and more and more and more so when I see the life of David. Who's supposed to be the man, man after God's own heart. Why were people under the law, my God, allowed to commit such evil? So five observations before I go to the meat of the message. So when you read some things in the Bible, 
Sometimes they could be so candid and so brutally honest and so graphic in its depiction. It should not shock you. It should warn you. It should, it's a parable, if you will. It's a compelling story, provocative in that sense, in that it is compelling us to examine our own heart. Just five observations before I go to the meat of the message. Why, therefore, is the Bible given? First reason why the Bible is given is, I mean, especially the New Testament, Old Covenant is given. It's found in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be made guilty before God, for by the deeds of the law. No flesh is justified. In other words, you know what it says? You read the law, especially the, the Psalms and the, and the entire old covenant. What it says is, if those people who are under the law were so wicked, what chance you and I have? The whole purpose is to shut your mouth and to make you realize that you're guilty before God. Second, it's not in chronological order. I mean, I'm just putting some observations here. Second, Romans chapter 7 verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. And this is a candid confession of a guy who's saved. Not a guy who's not saved. Hmm? What should actually shock us is not the graphic depiction of sin and the enormity of it. Why did actually God stop there? In fact, if we were allowed to be what we are, we would be worse. Unless God has some restraining influences placed over our lives. And that is the third observation. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Meaning, there is a restraining influence of God over our lives. And once the restraining influences is taken away, even in the most advanced and, and prosperous countries, remember when, when Katrina took place in Louisiana and all these places, when the law was taken away, people just went into the supermarkets and there was looting like you can never even imagine. You see, there's a restraining. God is restraining. That is one of the prayers that we often pray. What is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. You see, that is how we, we, we pray. We don't pray, Lord, I want to, oh, no. God says, yeah, we will overcome, but pray that you don't fall into temptation. Fourth observation, Romans chapter 3, verses 27 to 28. Then what becomes of our boasting? One of the things that old covenant is given so that you will be stripped of all your boasting in your achievements and your righteousness and your requirements. You know, God is saying, <laughs> David, it's very interesting actually. I'm just studying a little uh, the, the, the old covenant. Yeah, there's a verse in Hosea. It says, I gave them a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. You know that verse, right? I gave them a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. And most of the time commentators use that it is typically saying, uh, talking about Saul because Saul was people's choice. Now, when I actually read a few other translations, the living Bible, the way it renders that verse is this. I gave them kings in my anger and took them away in my wrath. Because they asked for a king and God said, 
I am supposed to be your king. What you did, you made a crime which is such a great wickedness in my sight. What I'm going to do is, I'm going to give you kings in my anger. I'm going to take them away in my wrath. And you know what? One day I'm going to send a king. You know what, is, what you're going to do? You're going to call him the king of the Jews and you're going to crucify him. Hmm? So, all our righteousness, we don't boast. Fifth observation, one of the most important observations is this. We looked at it several times, but this is what the old covenant will bring us to if we read it carefully with an open mind and say, Lord, show it to me in my own heart. This is what it will say. Jeremiah chapter 17, we will all know this verse, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? A rhetorical question and your answer is, No one, except God. So that is the reason he says, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind, give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So I test four things. I make a thorough test. I test his heart, I test his mind, I test his ways, I test the fruit. And what will happen to us if God scrutinizes us at such intense levels? What's going to happen to us? What will happen to our boasting? Eliminated. Gone. Out of the window. See, that is the reason why Old Covenant is given. And that is the reason why when the Old Testament is written, what you will ask yourself, it is a compelling question. Lord, how do I could keep your commandments? God says, it is not possible unless I am birthed inside of you. Unless I make you a new creation, you can never, ever, ever come to my righteous standards unless I clothe you with my righteousness and put my spirit inside of you and work my righteousness through you so that you can stand in front of me on that day of judgment. That is the reason why it says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is, where? In Christ is a New creation, old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. But let me tell you something, they have become new only positionally, but not functionally completely. Yes, it speaks in the past tense, but God speaks that into our lives and makes sense into what he speaks about us. But we need to partner with him. What does it tell me? It is not automatic. We have work to do with our heart. And look at the old covenant. Look at my heart. Look at the old covenant. And you look at sins and you say, such a shocking thing. I will never do it. Uh, uh, uh." You say, you will never do it. That's exactly what you will do. That's exactly what the Pharisee said. If we were in our father's time, we would not have persecuted the prophets. You know what he says? Jesus says, you are actually testifying against yourself. Your fathers did it and you built their graves. Hmm? So it's not automatic. Okay? So we have work to do and something that we have to do. And scripture gives us several ways to do it. it shows us several paradigms as to how we do this. It says in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 11, it says, knowing, first we need to know that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. If that is the reality, what we should do, we should also reckon ourselves to be dead every day. That's what we need to do. And if we reckon ourselves to be dead, we will also jump into action. What is the action we will jump into is called, is found in Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 to 8. It says, put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, his inordinate affections or evil concupiscence is some translations call, render it uh, uh, inordinate ordinate affections or evil concupiscence, desires which are not normal. Okay? Uh, evil desires and greed which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry or covetousness. In some translations will use the word covetousness is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in life you once lived. But what has happened to you? But now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language and your, from all your, from your lips. So how do we do it? We have to recognize certain things about ourselves which are true. Old Testament gives us a very interesting, I mean, sorry, New Covenant gives us a very interesting formula. Formula as to why should we be motivated initially, I mean, first of all, why should we be motivated in order to do this, put away all this. First Corinthians chapter 5, look at this carefully, okay? Look at this carefully, follow me. Your glorying is not good. This is First Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 and 7. Do you not know a little leaven, leavens the whole lump? Therefore, Purge out the old leaven, that you be made, be made a what? A new lump, since you truly are unleavened. So what it means is this, because I know that in new birth I am truly unleavened, what do I do? I purge out the old leaven, so that I be made new. Why? For indeed, Christ, the Passover, has been sacrificed for me. Therefore, because he has done this for me, something has happened to me. All the power and grace which was against me has now become for me and it is going to work through me to ensure that I can purge out the old leaven. That's the point. Okay, another 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 translation to get this paradigm even more clearly. This is in the NIV. Get rid of the old leaven so that you may be made a new unleavened batch as you really are, so because you are really are, what should you do? You should get rid of the old leaven so that you may be made a new batch. That's the paradigm. Why? Because Christ has been, has, is a Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for you. And why is this important? Why is this important? Why is this important? You know why this is important? Follow me carefully. This is important because in Hebrews chapter 10, there's something very interesting which is, which is, uh, which is, uh, uh, said to us in Hebrews chapter 10. And every high priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. All those people, you know what? When they were offering sacrifices in the most holy place, they were they never used to sit year after year, month after month, week after week, they used to have daily sacrifices and sacrifices and the Levites were never allowed to sit. And the high priest had to go once in a year into the most holy place and make atonement for his sin and for the sin of the people. But what happened? But this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for ever, boy, what did he do? He sat down. Finished. Work over. Okay. So because this has happened, why? So what should you do is this. For by one offering, he has what? Perfected forever.
covered those who are being sanctified. So if you are being sanctified, only those who are being sanctified are perfected forever. So if you are not going through the process of sanctification, that means you are actually truly not born again. Because he has through one sacrifice, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So every day, daily, 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 we look at scripture, we look at our life, we look at scripture, we look at our life. We say, Lord, show me my heart, show me the deepest motives of my heart, show me my heart, show me my mind, show me my, show me my ways and show me my fruit. Everything. So today, I want us to look at one passage in the Old Testament which is shocking. I'm warning you, this is PG rated. Okay, this is actually R rated almost. But uh, several young people over here, not viewer discretion, listener discretion is advised. I'm looking at a passage in the Old Testament which is so shocking. But you know what we need to do? As I said, nothing should shock us. We need to examine our own hearts. So let us look at a passage. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 3. Verse 2 onwards. It's not found here, but I'm going to read from verse 3 onwards. Verse 2 onwards. Now, sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon, son of Ahinom. His second was Kiliab, son of Abigail. The third was Absalom, the son of Makkah. The fourth was Adonijah, the son of Hagith. So you have Amnon, which means faithful. Kiliav, which means just like daddy. That's what it means. Kiliav, av father. Kili, I am like my father. Kiliav. Interesting. His mother is Abigail. Mm-hmm. And then a third is Absalom, which means father of peace, the cause of peace. <laughs> you know him story. The fourth is Adonijah, and actually the six, I'm just mentioning only four. All were born at a place called where? Hebron. In the Hebrew, Hebron, which means association or fellowship. So in other words, I mean, if I were to just put it in New Testament jargon, it would be a set of boys who were born in fellowship. And God has given them names to decide their destiny. One guy, he calls them Amnon, means you should be faithful till the end. One guy, he says, Kiliab. Notice that, my brothers, it's it's going to be like what we call as 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 a very interesting linchpin. Kiliaf, okay. So, you have Ado, uh, 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 Amnon who's called faithful, Kiliaf who's called just like his dad, Absalom, cause of peace, and Adonijah, Yahweh is my Lord. Four people, four sons spoken into their lives. What has been spoken into their lives is destiny, which is positive. Especially if you look at firstborn. Firstborn is Amnon. It's supposed to be faithful. And you see that, right? Every time the firstborn is a disappointment. Do you know that? You know, have you noticed? Always Jesus, God rejects the firstborn and accepts the secondborn. Hmm? Cain, reject. Abel, accept. Hmm? And then you have uh, Esau, reject. Israel, accept. Yeah? Ishmael, reject. Isaac, accept. Old Vijay, reject. New Vijay, accept. 
Okay, it's, this, this is exactly what it is, no? Old which is rejected. Old man, that fellow doesn't even, he doesn't want to even smell him. Okay. And then you have Amnon, reject. Who should be accepted? Oh! Notice that! Notice that! Oh my, and this is, I get excited because when you do a research in a lab and you do the same things in the cup, in the, in the book of the, which is called the Bible, and you find new things, you'll say, oh my goodness, all those skills are helpful here. Hmm? Okay, Second Samuel chapter 13, we'll look at one guy called Firstborn, and this is where listener, listener discretion is advised. Interesting things you will find over here. Shocking story. Interesting truths and deep realities, heart-searching realities, and let us judge our own hearts. Second Samuel chapter 13. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. Now, when the Bible says lovely, she is lovely. It's like Aksa. She's to die for. Okay? That is the reason why Othaniel said, <laughs> give me that girl. I'm going to do anything for her. Okay. So, whose name was Tamar, Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar because he became sick and she was a virgin and it was improper. And he says he's, he loved her and he called her his sister. You know, this happens even in churches, no? Sometimes I, I remember in youth camps, oh, she's like my sister. Very careful. Brothers, when you say a sister, it's, first of all, you need to understand that is something improper. It is already there. It's improper. It's in, it's an inordinate affection. All young people, listen carefully. Hmm? Mark chapter 6. And verse 17 onwards. Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison. For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And because John had said to Herod, it is not, it is improper for you to take your brother's wife. And you took it and what did he do? You put him in prison. That's exactly what is happening over here. So, you know, this is something you need to understand. This is a struggle for young people in this generation and especially young men. And this is a specific struggle which is mentioned in the Bible. You know, just God, it is sovereign. I mean, he, he knows our heart. So what he does is he points out this particular sin. And he wants through Paul to Timothy. Can you imagine Paul exhorting Timothy? And look at what he says. Paul exhorts Timothy in First Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. He, he zeroes in on this specific weakness. Look at what he, what he says. First Timothy chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an old man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Treat older women as mothers. And then Younger women as sisters, full stop, no. Does he say full stop? No. With absolute purity. All purity. So he knows, and he knows, apparently, by the way, he wrote this when Timothy was around 40 years old. He was supposed to take over the church at Ephesus. 
And this is what he wrote Timothy. Can you imagine? A 40 year old man is being, is being warned by apostle. You should have, you, you would have thought this guy would have overcome his sin and he is now pure. He's exhorting him. Timothy, never put your guard down. You know, I, rem- I remember, you know, my mentor, you know, I keep mentioning him. You know, he used to tell me, you know what he used to tell me, Vijay? When ev- any minister talks about sexual purity, you know what I do? I silence every voice and I want to listen to him. Because I know this is one area a man has to really, really be careful. Of course, even women today. Therefore, a note for younger sisters first. Okay? Younger sisters first. And if you think you're beautiful. Whoever thinks you're beautiful, this is for you. I found this from Matthew Henry's commentary. Matthew Henry... Just puts things just as they are, no? Matthew Henry's commentary. Those that are particularly beautiful have no reason on that account to be proud. But great reason to stand upon their watch. Hmm? So, younger sisters, be careful. Don't take, don't become presumptuous. And ah, it's okay, it's just like my brother in the church. Okay, it's okay. Uh, we, they understand. No, 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 no. It says, don't give place to the devil. So, and especially if you are, you know, attractive, and you're young and attractive, be more careful. Why you have to be more careful is this, because scripture says in Proverbs chapter 31, 30, you know this very well, charm is what? Deceitful. Beauty is, uh, can we read that together? Charm is beautiful, deceitful, beauty is when, I'm telling you why I'm saying that, because when we were growing up in the church, when we were young guys, you know what we used to pray to God, God give us BBG. What is BBG? Beautiful believer girl. Okay, BBG. Beautiful believer, and it says charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain, but if you have a woman who fears the Lord, the question is, do you fear the Lord? That is one thing which you need to ask yourself. And it's another, another thing, sisters, no? The Bible, by the way, is very terse. It's very economical, in other words. It doesn't waste pages and verses. But if God devotes a specific set of verses to a woman's wardrobe, you ought to really, really ask yourself a question, why did he mention that? And he mentions it. It's as if God has gone into the wardrobe and he's looking at the wardrobe and he's just describing it. Now, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this. It's don't amplify your external look. This is found in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 16. 316, okay? You, John, you know John 316? You know First Timothy 316? You know 1 John 316? No, Isaiah 316? Colossians 316, you know? All the 316s, you just make, make a three, note of 316. This is 316. Look at what it says in Isaiah 316. Moreover, the Lord says, because the who? The daughters of Zion. Oh, 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 oh. So these are the sisters right inside the church. And God is not interested in the sisters who are outside the church. But he's interested in his daughters who are inside the church because they call themselves the daughters of Zion. What are they? They are haughty. And they walk with stretched necks and wanton eyes. Walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Hmm? Therefore, the Lord will strike with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will uncover the secret parts. Why? 
Because in that day, the Lord will take away the finery. What is the finery? The jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, the leg ornaments, the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms. Whatever those charms are. You know, he's just describing somebody's wardrobe here. I don't know if I had this wardrobe. And then, and the rings, and the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, and the outer garments, the purposes, the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. So he has covered everything in the wardrobe of a woman. And then he says, and so it shall be instead of a sweet smell, there shall be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of a well-set hair, baldness. Instead of rich robe, a girding sackcloth. And a scar instead of beauty. Boy, you got to be careful. Ultimately, you might end up with a scar. See? So, don't amplify your external look. Careful attention. I mean, I know sisters over here are... Quite conservative. But when I go to other churches, boy, sometimes I get a shock of my life. I'm honestly telling you, you know, it's the world has literally come into the church and the first place it touches is the apparel of the woman. Okay. Well, some people will get offended, but this is what the Lord says. You have a problem with this, you can argue with Isaiah once you reach there. And then in such a reason, First Peter chapter 3 verse 6, it said, do not let your adornment merely be outwardly. In other words, he says, it doesn't mean that you should dress dirty. No, 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 no. Be presentable. But are the arranging of the hair or the wearing of the gold or putting of the finer apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So, need to understand, young sisters, I'm just giving you a warning. We are not trying to justify Amnon's act. But careful, careful. We are not even saying that Tamar made a mistake, no. But we are saying, you know, be careful. Be very careful. Careful. Especially when you know that men have to have this attitude of absolute purity to the, towards the sisters. Help them. Pray for them. Don't make life difficult for them. I, I remember some interesting joke that pastor used in Bhutan and I don't want to say that it's a little graphic, but go you know, careful, careful about your apparel when you come to church, especially. And then he thought he loved her, but actually he lusted after her. Very, very screwed, no? And he's lusting after a system. And this, by the way, is possible. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible in First Corinthians chapter 5. You know, Paul says about people in the church, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, such sexual immorality that is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has to take his father's wife. It's so horrible. And you have not rather mourned. You have become puffed up and you are proud about it. You are showing off. Hmm? A very honest confession. I was uh, listening to John Piper's uh, look at the book podcast. 
blabs, right? He has a six part or seven part series as to how to overcome lust, okay? If you have men who are struggling or women who are struggling, seven part, 11 minute each uh, as to how to overcome lust. And you know, when you post it on YouTube, I looked at a very interesting comment about a guy who is so honest in his confession. Look at what he says. This is an honest confession from that series. Why, oh, why do more churches not discuss this? Why are people silent about the demands of God in my church? Why is the preaching so weak? I'm not saint. I'm no saint either. Who am I to complain really? I remember seeing an athletics competition on TV recently. Have you ever considered why the athletes, more so the women, are scantily clad? Okay. You know, I mean, you, you see men's tennis and women's tennis. Women's tennis is only a fashion show. It's boring. Honestly. I don't know why they even have that competition being, sorry girls, but tennis is a men's sport. It's best of three, no, for the women. You know what it is for men? Best of five and they fought for equal pay. Nonsense. That's a different discussion altogether. I mean, see, even Rafa Nadal has to say, you know what, see, Honestly speaking, nobody watches women's, women's tennis because that's not very competitive. He said, men bring the more number of sponsorship because it is more thrilling, more adrenaline pumping, more number of rallies, more uh, uh, powerful shots. Why do you want to see? Except if it's a fashion show. And look at what this guy's observation. Okay, Very, very interesting observation. Look at what he says. He says, this is how... The poison of sexual immorality is slowly fed to you. No one walks up to you and offers you a pro- offers you pro- pornography in broad daylight. I would leave such a place if something so dire were to happen and not likely return. No. What will happen is you will be offered, say, a newspaper with, a, with pornographic images in it. And then, or a movie with pornographic scenes in it. Or a seemingly benign athletics competition since sport itself is nothing wrong but ah. There will be sensuality there too. So you won't fly head first into pornography, but you'll be titillated first. Lusts will be riled up in normal places and eventually lead you to pawn use. How many of men can confess this is true for us? Raise your hands unashamedly. Therefore he says, this is the trend with me as well. He says, this was, trend, this was a trend with me as well. When I did not fear God and had no knowledge of him, but by his grace and by his spirit, we are lucid now to these traps. Sexual immorality will literally destroy you if it is not destroyed. So what happened to this guy, Amnon, he is distressed and becomes sick. He has been captivated by a spirit of lust. Where is he happening? Right in the house of the Lord. Can you imagine what his destiny is? And he's being just been given this, this, this dew and he's just forsaking the birthright of the firstborn. Captivated by a spirit of lust. What is at stake? This stake is not just rewards. Stake is your soul. Stake is eternity. 
Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to everyone who so much as looks at a woman with lust after her, you know, I remember, I mentioned this so many times in the church, but when I said this first time to my students in the university, you know what my, my Bible says? My Bible says that if you lust after a woman with your, with your heart, you've already committed adultery in her heart. And I told them, how many of you watch item numbers? And how many of you can honestly say that you never lusted after a woman? You know what happened to some of my students? Their eyes popped up like that. They've heard it for the first time in their lives. That is the standard of my God. He's already committed adultery in our our heart. It's just a matter of time. So if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off, take it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your parts of your body rather than your whole body to be thrown into hell. What is at stake is eternal hell. Just not rewards, my dear brothers. Especially. And sisters too. In this generation, boy, anything is possible. I'm not going to discredit that at all. So why did this happen in the question? Is the question. How could this fellow get into such a mess? We need to examine certain truths there. First thing is mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Look at what it says. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Ah, that's the problem. Evil company corrupts. Okay. You, you know what? Pornography starts with friends. I went to university. I remember several years back, IIT Kanpur. It's a shame to that place. You know how people watch porn? They watch it together. They have shows in the hostel. It starts with the friends. Any habit, by the way, it starts with friends called Jonadab. Notice Jonadab. Come to that person. Now, uh, Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. This is uh, David's nephew, by the way. Son of David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day by day? What has happened to you? crafting. Let me tell you something. Be careful of voices which only talk about your privileges and not about your responsibility. Be careful. You are a king. There is some level of standards and righteousness which is expected of you. And you are a king's son and you are a firstborn boy. Jonathan should have said, you know what, Jonathan, you know, you know what, uh, Amnon? You're a king's son. How can you do it? But look at this fellow. He's appealing to, are you are a king's son. How come you're so weak? That's exactly how Satan comes and tempts, day, tempts Jesus. You know how he comes and tempts Jesus? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus and was led up by the spirit into the wilderness, be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now when the, when the tempter came, he said, if what? You are the son of God. Are you? You're the son of you. You are the son of God. How come you are hungry? How come you are hungry if you are the son of God? You are the kings, king of kings and the lord of lords. How come you, the king of kings and the lord of lords, how are you in poverty? How, how come there is lack in your life? How come? Are you a Christian? How come? 
You're a Christian, royal priesthood, holy nation, etc., etc. You should be having a huge bank balance, Baba. What has happened to you? What has happened to you? That's exactly how he appeals. He appeals to your rights rather than discussing about your responsibility. Which is more important. Hmm? Again, it's not just, then he says, the devil took him to the pinnacle of the city, of the temple, if you are the son of God. Same thing. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. See, how, that is how he appeals. You, the king's son, how come? How come you become so lean? Careful about voices. First Peter chapter 2 will say this, but you are a chosen generation, right? How many of you like this verse? Oh, everybody, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, special people, proclaim the praises of him who called you out of light and out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once not a people, now God's people, once did not obtain mercy, now obtain mercy. Then, I got a full stop in the other, but he didn't stop there. He wrote verse 11 also. Beloved, I beg you. As strangers and pilgrims, notice that please, sojourners, pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. That should have been the voice of Jonadab. Be careful. Therefore, you know what God will say? If you are truly free, what you should do is this. Galatians chapter 5. If you brethren have been called into liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your liberty. You know, you're free. Oh, you're sons of God. You're the king of kings. You're the you're princes and priests, etc. Whatever it is. Whatever embellishments that you that you carry. Notice why those things have been given. Do you notice? When you, when you, when Bible talks about blessings, you know, it always talks about spiritual blessings. It does not ever talk about physical blessings. That's what it says in Romans chapter 9. You know, it talks about Israel. They are the Israelites, right? To them belong the what? To them belong the glory. To them belong the covenants. To them belong the giving of the law. To them belong the worship. To them belong the promises. Are these all physical? To them belong the patriarchs. And by them, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God blessed forever. Amen. Eight privileges given. And none of them is physical. It's all spiritual. And what did they say? We don't want these things. We want to be like other nations. Please. Every blessing is spiritual, right? So, when we talk about blessings, when we talk about blessings, you know, we, I used to also think like that. God blessed you. Are, how did he bless you? Are, I got a car. And everybody by default will say, God blessed you. Well, it might be true, but that is not real blessing. Real blessing are spiritual blessings. Real blessing is the grace to overcome sin. Real blessing is the grace to overcome the powers of darkness. That is real blessing. Real blessing is to give, not to receive. Nobody talks about privilege or uh, uh, the, uh, the, the responsibilities. Everybody talks about privileges. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus. Even during Jesus' time, this is exactly what they talked about. And you know what Jesus answers. Look at what how Jesus carefully balances these two things together. How he, how, how he says that. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 17. When they, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the double drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the double drachma tax? He said, Yes. 
And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. I like this verse. Saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? That means what is he saying? You are what? You are king. From who do the people of the earth, kings of the earth, collect taxes or customs or taxes? From sons or from strangers? Peter said, from strangers. And then what did Jesus say? Then the sons are free. Next word. Nevertheless. You see that? Nevertheless. That they should not be offended. Go fish. Find tax sufficient for me. Can you imagine the creator of the universe is paying taxes? You know, there was one guy called Kent Hovind. How many of you heard this name? Kent Hovind. Kent Hovind. Oh, this creation guy. I mean, he was a very good guy. He was excellent in his debates and he used to literally beat the atheist left, right and center in many of his debates. You know what happened? He refused to pay taxes. He said, my tax dollars are being used to fund uh, evolution in public schools. I'm not going to pay taxes. What nonsense is that? You know what happened? Because of that, because of that, he was put 18 years in prison. His wife left him. He divorced, got married to another. Mess! What a mess of a testimony. I mean, it's there online. I don't have to say anything because it's there in public domain. I had such incredible hopes for that. I mean, I was so encouraged to see him. Messed his life up. So listen to voices. Listen to voices which talk about your responsibilities and not about your privileges. Privileges are not here. It's there. Privileges are not to be enjoyed here. Are you getting it? Simple. Plain truth. Look at how Daniel talks to his king when Nebuchadnezzar has this vision about himself. Look at how Daniel, you know what he says? This is a true Jonadab. Notice that word Jonadab, okay? Say, say Jonadab, everybody. Jonadab, okay. Who is this Jonadab? Mystery character. It's like a, it's like a, it's, it's, Bible is intriguing. It's got a lot of suspense, intrigue and everything inside of, inside of it, okay? If you want to make a movie, make a movie from the Bible. In, incredible script. Daniel chapter 4 verse, verse 27, this is what he says to the king. Therefore, O king, take my advice and let it be acceptable to you. What should you do? Please break off your, your sins. Break away your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be enlightening of your, en, 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 uh, en, en, en lengthening actually, sorry. Lengthening of your prosperity. Sorry for that typo. Lengthening of your prosperity. This is Daniel, candid. He's not going to flatter him. Oh, king live forever. That's exactly what they said. King live forever. That fellow knows very well that he's going to die. Very soon. But he's, they're going to flatter him. Maharaju, Amar Rehe. Amar kahan rehega, bhai? Everybody keeps on saying, Amar Rehe, Amar Rehe. And ultimately they will call him God and they will put one statue. That fellow is not Amar. He's dead. Okay. So... Perhaps there could be a lengthening of your prosperity. So what happens? Jonadab is not this. Something else. Jonadab was a very crafty man. What does he do with his craftiness? Jonadab said, pretend, pretend. 
want to look at Jonadab, right? There are only two Jonadabs in the Bible. How many Bibles? How many? Two Jonadabs in the Bible. Just like there are only two Phineas's in the Bible. One is a Phineas who is the son, uh, grandson of Aaron. Aaron, Eliezer, Phineas, down the ages, you have a priesthood called Tzadok, which actually means priesthood of righteousness. Go on. There'll be a priesthood for ever. Then you have another Phineas, Hophni and Phineas, belonging to the priesthood of Eli. You know what it says? There will be none in your clan who will stand before my temple. Everybody will die. They will not see good in their lives. And those who are left will keep begging. Please give me one position, position in the kingdom. Please give me They'll be begging. That's exactly what happens to Abiathar, who belongs to the priesthood of Eli. And you know what happened to Abiathar. In exactly the same way, you have two Jonadabs in the Bible. You know what it says? Enemy comes like the apostle of righteousness. Like an angel of light with the same name. But one Jonadab teaches you deception. What does the other Jonadab teach you? And who is the other Jonadab? Or who is the real Jonadab? You know what the word Yonadab means? It's actually Yohonadab. Which means Yahweh's will. Is the will of Yahweh to pretend? No. What is the will of Yahweh? So, so that is, in, you got the intrigue, suspense. No, everybody got it. Right? So let us see who is the other Yehonadav. He's found in 2 Kings chapter 10. This is the episode of Jehu. Jehu is anointed to you know what to do to destroy Ahab's clan. So what does he do? He's anointed. How does the anointing take place? Very interesting. When one prophet is sent, runre, anointre, runre. Uh, okay, that is how the whole episode happens. Run, anoint, run. Don't stay. Stay just as such Finished. You are gone. Okay. Don't take chances. Run, anoint, run. So this fellow goes, goes, runs, anoints Jehu and runs for his life. Whatever happens and Jehu is anointed. He knows his mission. He goes now on a mission to for to Madam Jezebel. And you know the story. Eunuchs drop Jezebel and he kills Jezebel. And next he's on a binge to destroy Ahab's clan. And he's doing it. On the way something happens. Now he is on the way to destroy the rest of Ahab's household. And this we will, we will, we will, we will, will uh, uh, we'll we'll uh, join the narrative or pick up the narrative in Second Kings chapter ten verse fifteen. Now, when he departed from there, he met oh Jehonadab. This is the only other Jehonadab in the Bible, the son of Rehab. Who's that fellow? Want to know? Coming to meet him, and he greeted him and said to him, "Is your heart right? And my as my heart is towards your heart." In other words, do you know what my, what the mission I am going towards? I am going to destroy sin in Israel. Is your heart connected to my heart? You know what Jonadab says? That is the will of God. That is Jehovah's will. 
And Jehovah says, Yonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot. Then he said, come with me and see the zeal of the Lord. So they had had him ride in his chariot and when he had come to Samaria, he killed all the remain, all that remained in Tuhev in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word that the Lord had given to Elijah. So whatever Elijah said, till I accomplish that, be along my side and strengthen me. That is the mission of Yonadab. So what is actually the mission of Jonadab? Who is he the son of? Rehab. And where do you find him again? In Jeremiah chapter 35. Go to the house of Rehabites. Speak to them. This is Jeremiah. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Go to the house of Rehabites. Speak to them and bring them to the house of the Lord. Into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. So in other words, he's telling Jeremiah, you give them wine to drink, they will drink. Jeremiah has said it is okay to drink wine. Let us have a blast. Then I set forth, and I said before the sons of the house of Rechabites, bowls full of wine and cups. And I said to them, drink wine. Enjoy mama. And what do they say? But they said, we will drink no no wine because Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine. You nor your sons. How long? Forever. You shall not build a house nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents and live as sojourners. My beloved brothers, I beseech you as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which warn against us. So that is the counsel of Jonadab. Every other counsel is a lie, even if it is camouflaged as Jonadab. Hmm? Then what did they say? Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rehab, our father. And what did we do? We never drank wine. Not our wives, nor our sons, nor our daughters. You know, it's very interesting. Wives he's mentioning over here. And it says, you know, in Titus, old women should not drink wine. <laughs> I don't know why he said that. Is it cultural? I don't know. Whatever wine is for us equivalently in India, I don't know. Not build yourself houses to dwell in, not do have a vineyard or field or seed, but dwell in tents, obey the voice to all, according to all that Jonadab, our father, has commanded. What it tells me is this, even if Jeremiah comes with another gospel, don't believe him. That is what Jonadab has to teach you. That's exactly the reason why Galatians chapter 1 will say, even if we, in the form of Jeremiah, <laughs> Or calling ourselves Jonadab. Preach any other gospel to you. Other than what we have preached to you. Let him be. Accursed. Anathema. Cut off from Christ. 
Next. It also teaches me this. Every doctrine which will cause you. I mean, there's so many people, right? Even in Christian circles, they will ask their children to lie and pretend. Pretend. That is the reason why 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in, in the NIV, I like the NIV, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension, so much of pretension in Christendom. People act and behave as if what they are not, they never, they never come candidly out of what and say, this is what I truly am. Never. Very, very, very rarely. Try to hide. That's what Jonathan teaches you. Teaches you deception. Lies. This is very careful. Don't just take every voice. This is what it teaches me. Let's move on. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 4. Amnon said, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. And then you know the act. I'm not going to go to the details, graphic details of that act. It's really, really embarrassing. But you need to read it. Then Amnon hated her intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. How he changed. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said, sending me away would be greater wrong than what you have already done to me. Let me tell you something, no? You need to understand what true doctrine will teach you not to keep a set of commandments. It will teach you to love God and love people. Look at Romans chapter 13, how it just comes together in Romans chapter 13. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing, look at that, how, what is, the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are as summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, love does what? No harm to a neighbor. And this guy, do you think he loved his sister? No. He actually hated her. He just want, used her as an object. Therefore, love is a fulfillment. That's the reason why 1 John 3.16 will say, you know what? By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and brethren actually. So let me tell you, young brother, young sisters, don't jump into any relationship just because if some guy can't wait for you, don't jump. Ask counsel. This is so very important. Otherwise you will be left with a scar. Irreparable. I want to close. We have five more minutes. I want to close with this last thing. How come Amnon was rejected and why was somebody accepted? The point is, how do I know somebody is accepted? I should, I should look at it, right? First of all, I should look at it, no? So look at this. This is 2 Samuel chapter 13. Sons were born to David in Hebron. This is 2 Samuel chapter 3. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinom. Second was Kiliav, son of Abigail. Absalom, son of Maka. Fourth was Adonijah, son of Hagit. Amnon, Kiliav, Absalom, Adonijah. Where do you find this list again? Okay, let me tell you a little bit of background over here. You read the narrative, the first king, second king, first Samuel, second Samuel, first king, second kings. You'll see the historical narrative includes all of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. 
Once you come to Chronicles, what do you have? Anybody? Who has read the Bible carefully? What is excluded and what is included? When you come to Chronicles, for the people who don't know, okay, read your Bible carefully now. When you come to Chronicles, the historical narrative is repeated except that the kings of Israel are excluded and Chronicles only consists of the kings of Judah. So where does it start from? David, not Saul. Okay. It gives all the genealogies, all the tribes, etc. And it only talks about the kings of Judah and not the kings of Israel. And it is written not by people before the captivity. It is written by people who came after the captivity. Okay. That is a very interesting point to note. And therefore, something is mentioned. No? You read carefully. Don't just just skim through the Bible. Read Carefully. So you have a list over here. You have Amnon, you have Kiliav, Absalom, Odonijah. So let us see, let us uh, review your Hebrew. Amnon means? Kiliav means? Just like daddy. Absalom means? Cause of peace. Odonijah means? Yahweh is my God. How many messed up? Amnon messed up. Absalom messed up. Odonijah messed up. What happened to Kiliav? Let's catch him. First Chronicles chapter 3. Sons of David were born to him in Hebron. The first born was who? Amnon. I'm going to skip the second. Suspense, no. Thank God for presentation. The third was Absalom. No change. Fourth was Adonijah. No change. Second. What's his name? Isn't that interesting? What does Kiliav mean? Just like daddy. What does Daniel mean? God is my judge. What happened to Kiliav? He allowed God to judge him every day day of his life because he was mentored, I believe, by Abigail, the very wise woman. And he ended up from just like daddy to Daniel, the beloved of God. As I told you, firstborn reject, secondborn, Daniel, isn't that amazing? Do you think this is an accident in the Bible? What happened? From Kiliab to Daniel. Kiliab, just like father, Daniel, just God is my judge. Meaning, you know what he says? I will allow God to be my Lord in every area of my life. I'm first baby, a eunuch. <laughs> eunuch for God. <laughs> eunuch means you know what I'm talking about. Spiritually speaking, okay, not physically. And I will eat what he asks me to eat. I will not eat what he asks me not to eat. 
I will constantly judge my heart every day. I will not say I am such a holy, holy person. You know what I will do? I will weep and say, Lord, we have sinned. We have committed inequity. That's exactly what Daniel does. You have, you should see Daniel's prayer. A man who constantly every day of his life judged him. He never said, why should I do this, Lord? Why should I? If, if, if some people say, no, when children will come and say, why should I not, why should I not do that? You should ask this question, why should I do it first? Don't ask for your privileges and your rights. Ask for your responsibility. Hmm? That is the reason why I like Susanna Wesley, you know, she's like the Abigail of the, of the Wesleys. Look at what she says, Susanna Wesley, when, 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 uh, when the children went and asked, Mama, what is sin? What should I avoid? Why should I avoid? What should I avoid? You know what she said? She didn't give up, you know, don't, don't drink, don't uh, go to movies, don't watch television. She never said this. She said, just fantastic. She, this is exactly what she says. She says, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't ask. What is wrong? What is wrong if I do this? What is right? If you do that, will it make you holy? Think about it. Or can you avoid it? Does it make your conscience more tender? Does it obscure your sense of God? Does it take away the relish for spiritual things? That means, I mean, you, do you love to read the Bible more after you watch something on the, on the television? Love to fellowship more? Does it increase the authority of the body or the mind or the mind over the body? Ask yourself these questions. You see? You read, you read Bible's, Bible carefully and you'll see this guy, you need to understand, it's shocking. Never think that I will never be an Amna. No. If I don't judge my heart every day, day of my life and say Lord there is nothing good inside of me. You know that is the reason why the cross is so central in our lives. So central. If the cross is obscured, we get into carnality or we get into legalism, ultimately end up with a curse. So this evening, even as we are in the house of the Lord, are we Amnons or Kiliavs? As many as have received him, he gave them the authority to be called what? Children of God. But as many as are led by the Spirit, they are called the sons of God. Who are these sons of God? If you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live for as many as are led by the Spirit. To put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit are the sons of God. Are you a son of God? Are you Kiliavs turning into Daniels? And you say, we need to be Daniels in our generation. Really? Do you obey your father and your mother? Do not forsake the instruction of your father and do not forget the law of your mother. For there shall be a graceful ornament around your neck. This evening, in the house of the Lord, shall we all stand up?
coming to the end of the eighth month. This is the last meeting of the eighth month and we will enter into the ninth month. We'll birth something good. Yeah, eight is new beginning. Nine is, of course, um, birth, birth something which is of God in our lives. Shall we pray? Father, we, this evening, so many young people, so many of us, Lord, we don't want to take things lightly. This is eternal. There is an eternal weight of glory which is at stake. Enables, enable us never to trivialize it. Enable us never to be glib. Enable us not to be expedient. Let there be no equivocation in our lives. Let us call sin by what it is. Let us not try to, Father, mollycoddle it. Let us not be pampered. Father, let us be corrected and disciplined so that we may be made partakers of your holiness and one day be heirs who sit at your throne on the right hand of Lord Father. That is your will for all of us. And I pray in this house, we will all, Father, we will all, we will put our faces like a flint towards Jerusalem. Just like your son, Father, went outside, we will also bear our reproach and go outside following your son. Father, grant us grace to that and we pray. Every one of us, enable us to walk in our deliverance and enable us to overcome sin. Enable us never to take anything lightly. Enable us never to talk about our privileges and our rights. Enable us to show, to, to, to be responsible in the house of the Lord, in, in our homes, in our, in our schools, in our, in our institutions, wherever we work, oh Lord, let us be found faithful. Grant us grace to discern the voice of the enemy. So many voices, O oh Lord, which is trying to grab our attention, but I pray, Lord Jesus, we will be vigilant, O oh Lord. We'll be sober. We'll be vigilant. Because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, going about like a roaring lion, but we will resist him, form in our faith. And you said, Lord, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from us. Grant us grace to that and we pray. We thank you for this time. And even as we go back into our Father, to the rest of the week, the work week, I pray, Lord Jesus, you will not lead us into temptation, but you will deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.